uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome to this episode of Faith in Your Recovery. We're glad you've joined us, whether it's your first time or you've listened in to every episode. We invite you to check it out on podcast, to go there. There's some great things. You're going to hear some, you know, just some great information, some wonderful stories. Get on there. Go to Spotify, Apple. Uh, you can find it about anywhere. Thanks for joining us here today. Here at Faith in Your Recovery, we've come to recognize that when we're at our worst, God seems to show up at His best. We believe your setbacks are His setup for your comeback. We're going to speak to some of the futility of the struggle, some of that battle, and we're going to find out addicts do recovery. Do recover. Our guest today, Larry Musselman. Welcome, Larry. Hi, Randy. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's our pleasure. We look forward to what you have to share. Thank you for joining us, for making the trip over. Uh, I know what you're going to say is going to make a difference in some lives. Again, thank you. So, tell us, Larry. Tell us where life is today. Tell us some of your interests, your hobbies. I know we were talking a little bit ago. You're waiting for the weather to break. You want to get out on the golf course, right? I, I am absolutely ready. Um, I'm actually in two golf leagues this year one through the uh the lighthouse church we have a men's golf league and uh our local blackford county uh golf league is pin high golf league um and we're we're ready to play so it's uh, we're just waiting for the for the rain to go away and the the course to clean up a little bit so hey i'm not into golf but i'm into good weather and i'm anxious to see it too what else how else do you spend your free time well, what is that free time? Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of the time that I, uh, I am off work or, or not doing ministry, um, I'm volunteering uh, for, with church activities or just spending time at home with, uh, with my wife. I enjoy cooking. Um, so most of our meals that we do eat are, are, are home cooked. Uh, and uh, once in a while, not as often as we'd like, but we'll we'll go and play cards with uh, with my parents or uh, spend time with family. So sounds like good stuff, Larry. Thanks for sharing that with us. Let's go back. Let's go back to early in life. Tell us about your upbringing. Back when Larry was a young guy, I don't know if you were ever short. Were you? You're, what are you now? Six two three. Uh, well, I'm actually shorter than I used to be, Randy. I I was at one point six five, but. Uh, degenerative disc disease and and things like that. I'm I'm about six two six three <laughs> somewhere right. yeah. somewhere in there. A little taller with my boots on, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So uh, I had a great family growing up. Uh, my mom uh, was was home with uh, with us uh, you know early on, uh, and then eventually went back to work as a as a cafeteria worker, and then went to school to get her nursing license after my grandparents uh, passed away, and she. She was one of the primary caregivers of them and decided to go into nursing after that. Uh, my dad worked uh, for General Electric in Fort Wayne, um, retired after 30 years, and worked mostly the night shift. So 
uh, we'd see him at, you know, around dinner time and, and, and that. So we didn't see him a lot growing up, but he was doing what needed to be done to, to take care of us. And we'd take family vacations and go camping and, and whatnot. So, uh, really great upbringing, honestly. Um, and the, the, the funny thing about that is, you know, uh, I have two brothers and, uh, two of us really kind of got into trouble with stuff and uh one didn't um where are you in the birth order larry i'm the middle Ah, i'm a middle child i get some (laughs) of that syndrome okay yeah yeah we'll hear more about that in a few minutes so you said a couple of us got in trouble Uh, i'd like for you to refer to your brother here in a little bit the one that did as well as the one that didn't but we want to hear first and foremost about your story. Tell us where where you see that trouble having begun, how it came about, what the experience was. Hit us with the early part. Well, the the one thing that uh, that really happened early on in my childhood is I, I was molested as a child uh, by a family friend and a neighbor, and I kept it a secret, didn't tell anybody for years and years. And that had a, a profound effect on oh my. my development and uh, trusting relationships and intimacy and even even into my adult years. Um, How old were you, Larry? I was young. I would say probably eight, okay. ten. That's close. When it began. Okay, uh, thank you. Go ahead. So uh, I experimented with, with drugs early on. Uh, you know, I used to started out stealing a pack of my dad's cigarettes or sneaking one every once in a while or or uh, sneaking a beer in my buddy's dad's garage or you know whatever and uh, about 12 years old I started with uh, marijuana and alcohol and uh, that's all it was for for a while but it uh, would into the high school years I'd you know be partying on the weekends and then eventually led to having a, a bottle that looked like water or Mountain Dew in my locker, but it wasn't. Uh, and just uh, experimenting with different things, trying to numb pain that no no child should have to endure. Yeah. So I, I know in hindsight, so many things become much clearer. As you look back, you just got done saying a lot of that usage, that experimentation was to numb the experiences at that time, did you recognize the pain or did it just have you so confused was, in your head and heart? Do you think it was for another reason at that age? I think the, the, the majority of it was the, the shame and the uncertainty okay. of anything to do about it. Um, you know, I mean, I always thought it was my fault that I did something wrong. Um, not that something wrong was done to me. You know, and it, it took a long time to to realize that, like I said, even into adulthood. Um, and a lot of times we, we carry these uh, self-traumas. Blames. Yeah, that, you know, and we, we, we think we're to blame for it. There's something that we did uh, to cause those things. So we, we carry the shame. We carry the yeah. guilt. We carry yeah. the, uh, you know... I, didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want to get in trouble. You know, um, I was afraid I did something wrong until, you know, much, of course I was much older and sure. Uh, realized, well, it wasn't my fault. It was this, you know, 
person that did it. You so. were truly the victim of the moment. Right. Yeah, yeah. I have come to believe that in a lot of those things, we we want to find a place to put the blame. And when we can't or we don't know how or we can't identify it, we internalize it because something had to cause that. Someone had to cause that. And at least if you point at yourself, you feel like there was a source. And maybe that's what it takes, even though it's a wrong direction to point. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what it takes to start moving forward, to find a base to go from that you understand, even when you find out later that base wasn't solid ground. Right, yeah. And, you know, I was raised in the church, um, so a lot of it I was I was mad at God about, too, um, you know, allowing this to happen to me. Um, so it, uh, it, it really kind of led me in my teenage years to, to wander away from the church to seek seek truth in, in other areas and other aspects and, and religions. And, um, because things just didn't make sense to me, you know, how could a a God that's all loving and all good allow something like this to happen? Of course, you know, at that age, I didn't understand, um, grace or uh, free will or, you know, any of those things. So, um, trying to put that all behind me or to, to deal with it all was, it was really rough as a, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So here you are 12 years old, you're getting into the marijuana and some of the other things. Go ahead and take us forward from there. Uh, yeah. Lead us down that rabbit hole with you, please. Okay. Absolutely. So, pardon me. So, uh, I would say, yeah, it was about 12 years old when I started, uh, experimenting with with marijuana and i was younger than that when i first had alcohol you know it's uh, it wasn't that i was getting drunk or anything but you know you'd steal a sip every now and then when nobody was looking or or whatever um and as i uh, matured into junior high i was i was i was picked on a lot because i was i was kind of an odd duck uh to be honest (laughs) And, uh, so I didn't fit in with the cool kids. So that led to being picked on, which, you know, it just exasperated the situation. Um, and I started, uh, started using more heavily. I was, you know, drinking when I could, uh, swiping beers out of the old man's fridge or, um, uh, my, my buddy's dad's refrigerator that he kept in the garage or, or what have you. And, uh, eventually it was, you know, uh, led to the harder liquor and, and, uh, more and more use, uh, especially in the high school years. And I started to experiment with other things, um, be at a party and somebody will have a little bit of cocaine or something. And I'd try that. Or, uh, it wasn't really until much later in life that I really got into the, the nitty gritty of the addiction, but how many uh, more years later, thereabouts, guesstimate? I'd say in my 20s. Um, Late 20s, early? Well, it, I mean, I it got to the point where I was drunk more often than not on, okay. on the weekends. Okay. You know, I was still, I was a very well-managed, functioning alcoholic uh, because I would work uh, my regular job. And it was like as soon as work would get off, 
I would, I would start drinking or what have you and, you know, go to work the next day. And then the weekend comes and, you know, really can't remember most of the weekend. We hear the term weekend warrior quite often here on our (laughs) interview. You kind of, it sounds like you might've fit that description. Yeah, I really kind of did. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, which, you know, the drinking, uh, led to gambling and those two things don't mix well because when you're drinking and you're trying to to play poker or or gamble you're 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 making poor decisions anyway um so i i ended up getting addicted to to gambling as well and uh that ruined a relationship that i was in and ended up because of not paying the uh bills or the the house payment ended up that got taken by back by the bank and I was really at that point I was at an end of myself and didn't know what to do about it um and I was I I didn't have a place to stay other than you know if I could have moved back in with my parents uh so I was crashing on the floor at a buddy's house uh didn't have a job uh started while I was walking around didn't have a vehicle was walking around looking for a job when a marine corps recruiter pulled up beside me one day <laughs> And, uh, he, he says, Hey, let me take you out to lunch and we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit. And I was thinking, well, if you know, free food, that sounds fantastic. Um, and, uh, we ended up, uh, I signed up for the Marine Corps that day and, uh, left for boot camp a week later. Uh, so, did you know this guy or did he know no, you no, or it was just one of those happenstance? Here's a young guy. I'm going to talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happened. My grandfather was in the Marines um, and he, you know, fought in World War II and always looked up to my grandpa and uh, my dad was in the military. He was in the army and I had, you know, cousins that were in and stuff that were in the Air Force and had you uh, had any kind of plans in your mind to go military? Absolutely not. No, not, none whatsoever. Okay, so you've got lunch dialed, and then you're signing a contract, it was basically, basically. yeah, I had nothing better to do that day, so I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> not going to touch that line. But truly, thank you for your service. I, uh, I spent some time in the Army as well, and it wasn't all bad for me, okay? Not everybody can say that. And I Absolutely. feel for those hearts, those experiences. So you've been into a little bit of multiple things, deeply into a gambling situation that cost mm-hmm. you relationships and who knows how much more it may have cost. I'm sure you don't have a running tab on that to this day. No, I've, I've, I've never added things up because... Uh, you don't want to know, no, probably. I really don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So now here you are, uh, you're off to boot camp. Where was boot camp for you? Uh, it was in San Diego, MCRD, yep. Okay, where did you go from there? Uh, well, from there uh, to Camp Pendleton for uh, Marine combat training. And then uh, my first, uh, my MOS school was actually at Fort Knox. Uh, I was a tank mechanic. So there was a small permanent party regiment of Marines, maybe 15 and then they had their their tankers and their tank mechanics yes. going to school there, and you were a, a small, in, almost insignificant group of Marines surrounded by thousands of Army personnel. I would 
I went through Fort Knox. I'm familiar with that area of the fort, having been there more than once, okay? So I get some of that. So your time in the military, I know there's a culture in the military that's not always the best for somebody who struggles with addiction. Absolutely. How did that play for you? Oh, I mean, if I wasn't on duty, I was drinking. Um, and that's just what we, what we did, you know, I mean, they didn't care if you drank all you wanted, as long as you showed up for PT, showed up for duty, what have you, as long as you can perform your duties, they don't care if you were drinking 20 minutes before. Um, unfortunately that doesn't, is not really conducive to someone who already struggles with exactly alcohol and and other things um it kept me away from the marijuana and the you know the other substances because they they tested regularly um but that uh, it wasn't really conducive to a, a recovery situation i wouldn't think so yeah <laughs> so uh where was permanent duty for you after being there at Fort Knox and any other training you may have had? Larry? Uh, 29 Palms out in California. Okay. And, and were there how long? Uh, well, I served from 97 to 01. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the, during that time, my, my daughter was born. I was uh, with her with her mother, and my daughter was born. She was born in 2000. Um my son was born in 2003 by a, a different mother. Uh, there again, there there is the, the relationship issues that I had stemming yes. from the early childhood trauma that um, it fits. I mean, that's you know, just I didn't, the way the book is. Yeah, I didn't know how to deal with relationships, and if it wasn't dysfunctional, it 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 didn't seem right. You would make it dysfunctional. Yes, absolutely, um, and I really managed to fudge a lot of things up. Uh, but, uh, you know, after, after that, uh, so this, now we're around about 2000, uh, let's see, 2006, uh, I believe, um, my, uh, wife and I, uh, had split up uh, I was living with my parents and working at a bowling alley in the bar. Not uh, a good not, fit, probably. Not a good fit. Uh, boy, they liked the drinks I made because I made them the way I liked them. The way you drink them. <laughs> Again, not great uh, planning on my part, I guess. Um, and then I, I started to... Uh, to really struggle with, with uh, physical pain and aches. And, uh, I ended up, uh, a long process of a couple of years going to see doctors and, uh, not understanding where all these pains were coming from because I was, I was still pretty young. I wasn't, uh, you know, an old man by any means. And boy, I felt like I was, you know, I, I had all these aches and pains that weren't, weren't normal. Um, but I ended up being diagnosed with degenerative disc disease and fibromyalgia, um, uh, nerve damage, and all due to the uh, depleted uranium uh, exposure in the Marine Corps. Um, the tanks, the armor, the munitions, you know, everything is made from depleted uranium, which is, they say depleted, and it makes it sound safe, but it's really not. 
Uh, it's the opposite of uh, what <laughs> it I is. It's first still ra- it's still radioactive. Yes, yes. So there you are. You're dealing with those aches and pains as a result of that that time in the military. Where did that lead you? Well, that led me to a uh, my primary care physician, um, which referred me to a pain management doctor, uh, which prescribed. Uh, First, they tried me uh, with methadone, and then they tried uh, fentanyl patches, and just it was it was like in the early two thousands they were throwing pain pills at everything by the handfuls. Um, at one point, I was on uh, uh, Lyrica, which was for fibromyalgia. I was on fentanyl patches, uh, methadone. Uh, Vicodin for breakthrough pain and all of that stuff on top gave me anxiety really bad. So they gave me Xanax on top of all that. Um, so I'm. You were a walking pharmacist. Uh, yes. yes. yes I say that out of care, not a blast. It was, by any means. It was ridiculous uh, to even have that amount of narcotics prescribed to one individual. And to be able um, to live. And to be able to. Yeah, <laughs> so, I was I was literally a, a walking zombie. I mean, I had enough narcotics in my system at any given time to tranquilize a rhinoceros. Yeah. yeah. And it was just. Uh, but I didn't hurt anymore. And that seemed great to me. I didn't think about the issues in the past. I didn't think about the broken relationships, the lost houses, the, you know, all the, the failures in my life. I didn't think about them. It was like I was on cloud nine, but I was really just almost in a semi-vegetative state uh, most of the time. I, I couldn't do things with my kids. Um, you know, I just didn't feel like it. Yes. Uh, you know, I just wanted to soak in the the high of the, you know, the 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 feel good of the the pharmaceuticals. It had been so long since you'd felt good, not feeling anything felt good. Yes, absolutely. It was, and it was ignorance on what feeling good really is. Sure. Um, well, if you've not experienced it, you don't know what you don't know until you find out. Absolutely, and. Uh, it, it was uh, a, a couple of years into that, and uh, the uh, insurance would no longer cover. I actually was, uh, was drawing disability, and uh, the cost of living increase uh, caused the Medicare uh, or the Medicaid to, to no longer cover the medications because I was making too much on disability to qualify okay. for Medicaid and Medicare didn't cover as many. So now I'm in a, a sticky pickle, uh, because I'm going through withdrawal and I kind of knew a little bit of what withdrawal was because if I, if I didn't change the patch, you know, on at the right time, or if I, you know, didn't take the opiates, you know, as many as I was, then I would start to feel yuck. And, uh, it was, it was around that time that, uh, I was introduced to methamphetamines. Okay. And, uh, uh, somebody, I, I saw them smoke it off for the first time, making, making the, the methamphetamines and a light bulb went off in my head. And I actually have a tattoo of Wiley Coyote on my arm. Uh, He's holding a bomb that he doesn't realize is lit behind his back, and he has a sign that says "Evil Genius," uh, because I've always been a little too smart for my own good. 
Uh, I thought, well, that's just simple chemistry. I can do that. And, uh, oh boy, it was, uh, off to the races after that. Uh, you know, I was, I was no longer getting the, the prescription medications, but I didn't need them because I knew how to do this. And that was, was money on the, on the streets and I could get anything I wanted with it. Okay. It wasn't only for your benefit medically and physically. It also became financial. You're back to gambling in many ways. Gambling with <laughs> right. your life, gambling with <laughs> being caught, gambling with the fire. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, obviously, <laughs> but go ahead, please. So I, uh, you know, I, I ended up, you know, I had a, had a, a person in one county that would that would make the the methamphetamines for me. And then I would take that to another county where I had a guy that had just stacks of prescription pads that he would write out and go get any kind of pain pills that I wanted or anybody wanted. And then I would take those to another county and uh, swap those out with one person that knew a bunch of people that had, that could get, the Sudafed. And then I'd take it, it was just a big circle in about five counties in Northern Indiana. Um, and, uh, of course it didn't take too long for me to, uh, to get myself into, into some legal issues. Um, I actually, uh, sold, uh, narcotics uh, once and methamphetamine once to, uh, a confidential informant who was wearing a wire. Um, and I ended up with, uh, two B felonies in, in Huntington County. And, uh, on top of that, I had a, a, a B or a, I'm sorry, a C and a D felony in, in Whitley County. Um, you know, fortunately I ended up getting sentenced. Uh, let me, let me back up just a little bit there, Randy. Um, uh, I was arrested in Allen County in September of 09. Uh, for an OWI, uh, just so happens I didn't have any of the, uh, narcotics or anything on me at the time, but I was really faded. Uh, I was nodding out at the wheel, swerving in and out of traffic. I, I could have killed myself, could have killed somebody else. Um, and when I was booked in, uh, you know, they, they do your height and weight and all that. I weighed 130 pounds. Uh, you know, my face was sunken in, I'd been using the needle. If I could break it down and put it in a needle, it was going in my body. Um, it didn't matter the, the mode that I got it in. It was, it was going in there. Uh, I was to the point that my drug of choice was whatever you got and however much you got, um, Bring it, it, on. it didn't matter. Um, and, uh, I, at that, it was at that point that was like a wake up. Um, I, I knew I needed, I needed to stop. Uh, or I was going to die. And, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I've got two kids. I've got my parents there. You know, How I, old are they at that time, Larry? Oh, my goodness. Let's see. Uh, my daughter would have been nine and my son would have been six. Okay. okay. So, uh, you know, I tried to quit on my own uh, to, to white knuckle it, as they say. And uh, of course, I didn't know anything about meetings uh, back then. I didn't know anything about rehabs or, you know, any anything like that. And, of course, I didn't want, I, even though I knew that everyone that I knew knew that I was using, I didn't want 
to publicly come out and say, hey, I'm I'm using drugs. I need help. You admit it, though they could tell you. Right. Yeah. I didn't want to hear what they had. I knew I had a problem, and I knew I needed to, to change, but I didn't want anybody telling me how to do it. Right. <laughs> so I... Uh, I honestly, I hit my knees uh, one night in in December, and I told God, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I need your help. And uh, two days later, that prayer was answered in the form of uh, someone that owed me uh, $500 for drugs, uh, found out that I had a warrant, and instead of paying me, called the police and told them I was getting ready to flee state. So I was arrested. Um and, you know, at the time, that's not that's not what, what, you had what I had in mind. God. No. It's funny how it works. It huh? is. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you got to be really specific in your prayer life, apparently. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I ended up going to, to jail in, in Whitley County. And shortly thereafter, I bonded out and then was arrested in Huntington County on the two felony warrants from there. Um, but uh, that... Since December 29th of 2009, I've I've been clean. Okay, let's let's hold it right there for a minute. Then I want to get back to the victory report you're sharing with us. Okay, it's important for us to know that. What about regrets prior to that moment where you hit your knees? What have you done over relationships from that time? Have you been able to rebuild those bridges? What's your relationship with your kids? I, you know, my relationship with my kids is, is, is really great. Awesome. Um, I, I talk to, well, I talk to my daughter more than I talk to my son, but he, uh, he, does, he, he lives, uh, with my parents currently, uh, and he's working in Columbia city and he's, he works all the time, but, uh, so I don't, he, and he's not a phone talker. Um, you, we have one of those. Yeah, you, you call him on the phone. Hey, how's things going? Good. Yeah. You know, and then you, the get the, okay. <laughs> you get the dead silence. So we don't speak on the phone very often. Um, but when we, you know, when we see each other in person, things are it's great. It's not relational issues. It's just No, styles. it's just, yeah, he's, he's been that. that way since he was okay. little. He's, he just doesn't, he's not a phone talker. Okay. So. so the daughter... Uh, yeah, my daughter is actually uh, an animal control officer in Huntington County. I was I was telling you earlier that uh, I used to be an animal control officer in Huntington County prior to going into the, the Marines. Uh, that was one of the last jobs that I had before, you know, things really fell off the rails. And uh, so I'm I'm really proud of her. And she she actually followed in Daddy's footsteps in a bad way uh, there for a while, but. Uh, She's been clean and sober for uh, going on four years. Great for her. Uh, and she's just, she's doing fantastic. I'm really proud of her. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, let's go back. I think you said it was 2009 when you dropped to your knees. You decided this was well beyond any of your skill package and you needed that help from above, from God. Yes, sir. Tell us, move us forward from there in your relationship, your faith walk tell the folks what you're doing now because you're you're making an impact in lives who have been where you were let's hear about all that absolutely um you know and, and when i was younger i my, my grandfather died when he was i think he was 72 and i thought you know if i keep going this way 
I'm not going to live to be half his age. I'm going to die when I'm 36 years old. Uh, so while I was incarcerated in Huntington County Jail, uh, there was a pastor out of Anderson that came in and uh, was doing a Bible study and uh, asked if any of us had wanted to get baptized. And uh, my, my cellmate and I both decided that we did, and uh, we got taken down to the jail intake garage in our, in our tidy whities and uh, baptized in a, in a trough in the, in the jail intake garage. Uh, I was 36 years old, Randy, when I died to self and gave my life to the Lord. Okay. Uh, so that's, you know, that was just confirmation that, yeah, you're going to die when you're 36, but it's not the way you think. Um, this just, time God's answer worked to your benefit, even in your own mind. I absolutely. know the other time it did as well. It did. It did. Looking back, uh, you know, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, uh, ideally, no, I didn't want to go spend that much time in prison. I ended up getting sentenced to uh, 14 years with two suspended. Uh, so I had a 12 to six, um, ended up uh, incarcerated for a little over five and a half years altogether. Uh, but during my incarceration, uh, I was able to, to minister to, to people. I, I poured myself into scripture, um, fully gave my life to the Lord, uh, was introduced for the first time to celebrate recovery. Um, which, uh, later on, um, I'll talk about that. And, uh, I actually was able to start a church service when I made it out to the minimum housing unit. And it, I really kind of felt like Joseph from the old Testament because God just continued to, to raise me up and raise me up. And the more I continued to do the next right thing, the more he raised me up. Um, it, at one point I was, uh, working for an outside company at minimum housing, uh, making eight fifty one an hour in prison, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, most people in prison make 25 cents to 50 cents an hour. And it, so I was able to, to tithe to, uh, my home church. I was able to send money home. I was able to do all these things that, uh, and it was just simply blessings from God um, uh, so, uh, upon getting out, I immediately got, uh, plugged in with the, the church that I'd been tithing to and, uh, started doing a little bit of maintenance work here and there for them and remodeled their classrooms. And, um, I had told the Lord, I said, I look, I don't want to get married. I don't want another woman in my life. I just want to walk the walk of Paul and be, you know, be sober and just serve you. That's, that's what I want, Lord. And then, uh, I met Belinda and it was like, well, guess what? <laughs> the Lord's like, well, I got other plans for you, pal. So here you go. Um, we went on a total of one date um, and it was actually a group date. It was the pastor's wife's birthday and we all went out to the Olive Garden and uh, on the way home, we're just driving around and, and talking and I, I just stopped and she just reminded me of this today. Uh, uh, I was in the passenger seat. Of course, I didn't have a driver's license at the time. And uh, I said, look, if we're going to do this, I'm all in. It's all or nothing. Either I'm not going to date you. We're, we're, we're going to get married. And she literally just slammed on the brakes and looked at me just dumbfounded like, who is this guy? Um, and we ended up getting married um, on October 31st at the church, uh, but we couldn't get married in the sanctuary because it was they were having their fall festival. They had a, 
a cardboard maze set up in the sanctuary okay. that we all okay. worked on. And uh, we ended up getting married in the classrooms that I had worked on <laughs> to remodel. To remodel. Uh, you were remodeling your your future at this point. I had no idea, you know, and you, you see all these things looking back, what the Lord's done in your life. Uh, and, uh, you know, after that, we uh, we started working for a company. It was a Christian organization in uh, Indianapolis uh, that bought and sold homes and helped people to okay. get, uh, if they couldn't get traditional financing or whatever, uh, uh, which led us to, to Hartford City in a roundabout sort of way because we were we were signing the paperwork for a house that the company was purchasing in Marion uh, but the couple the couple that were the executors of the estate happened to live in Hartford City and wanted the paperwork signed at the attorney's office um, and then we're driving around Hartford City thinking we hit a hit a gold mine because there were so many empty houses and for sale by owner and this and that well we Lo and behold, we found the house that we, we currently live in. Um, and when I told my parents that uh, we're buying this house in Hartford City, and she's like, but you don't know anybody there. And I'm like, that's kind of the point. And nobody <laughs> there knows me. <laughs> so uh, we, we bought the house. We moved in, uh, started going to church at the Lighthouse Church, uh, the first service uh, that we attended, Pastor Troy was talking about the level of addiction and the need for recovery in the community. And the first time in my life, I audibly heard God's voice say, that's why you're here. Uh, so all these things, and it was, it was a struggle to get where we were. Oh, um, yeah. and it was, oh, yeah. it was, it was crazy, but he literally picked us up like a chess piece and moved us. Um, and since then, uh, I was asked to be on, uh, the leadership team for Celebrate Recovery, um, which I, I, I had a heart for because that's what, you know, got my mind clear yes. and, uh, making amends and forgiving and doing all those things, uh, through the 12 step work that I wouldn't have had, had I just taken substance abuse in prison instead of, instead of the celebrate recovery sure. program. And, uh, it wasn't long after that, I was asked to be the director of the program. Uh, I was, I did that for about three years and then a, a buddy of both of ours, old Brian Blevins, uh, called me up and he's like, hey, you want a job? Uh, seriously, if, it's, if there's anything that suits you besides being a pastor, this is, this is it. Uh, and I started working for Grant Blackford Mental Health as a, a peer support specialist um, and meeting people where they are in, in their recovery and helping them along the way. Um, and, and since then I, I've been doing that for about two and a half years now, and I do a lot more work in the community and trying to bring more and more recovery related things into the community and reducing stigma and absolutely, just, you know, Brian is one of our previous interviews and he can be found there on our podcast site. They're on SoundCloud or Apple, Google podcasts, or even on Spotify. And folks, I invite you to go back and hear his story. It's powerful stuff as well. So let's kind of wrap this up here shortly, Larry, as you're well aware of the, the title of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. Mm -hmm. Take those four words and define it for yourself. Faith, in, what's that mean to you? Faith in your recovery. For me, um, the there is no 
I don't think I'd have had recovery without that faith, that first hitting my knees and, 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 and reaching out to God. And, and that was a step in uh, faith in itself um, because I'd been church hurt. I'd been, you know, away from the church. I knew who Jesus Christ was, but I never had a relationship with him. Big difference. Uh, yeah, it is. It's a huge difference. Um, and now it's, uh, you know, just continuing to trust to trust God all, all the, all the way through my recovery. Um, while I was in prison, while, you know, when I got out of prison, not knowing what I was coming home to, I mean, I, I literally had a pair of sweatpants and a white t-shirt when I came home, you know, and I, I wasn't sure if, uh, I was going to be facing other charges from, from back in my heyday. And, you know, I just, I I trusted God in, in all of that. And, and I continue to do so. Um, and you're not in no sweatpants and t-shirt here today. No, okay? I, I. So it tells us there's a, I, I, God's I allowed you to prosper. Yes, yes. I'm still I'm still a little cheap. I do shop at the secondhand stores and and stuff like that. There's nothing but, wrong with hey, that. <laughs> so that's just uh, that's just part of who I am, I guess. Um, but it's faith in your recovery. It's you know the, the Bible says, for I am sure. He who began a good work in you will continue on until its completion upon the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means it doesn't matter how long we've been in recovery, how long we've been a Christian, how long we've been walking this earth. As long as we're drawing breath, we're still a work in progress. Absolutely. And as long as we continue to to trust in him, he's going to lead us down the path that he knows his best for us. And we're all in recovery of some type. It may be from addiction. It may be some PTSD. It may be the loss of a job. Who knows? Loss of a relationship. Absolutely. Larry, thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you for your honesty, your vulnerability, and your transparency. Awesome story. I'm sure it's going to be a blessing to others. It's his story, Randy. I'm just the guy that gets to tell it. So yeah, I'm, well, I'm, you're the guy you who had me. to live through it. You're the guy who had to drop to your knees. You never once said he knocked you to your knees. <laughs> no, You no. chose to drop him. You played in this, okay? And thanks for the way you played. Uh, that's, that's a big impact. So uh, once again, thank you, Larry. We appreciate that. Folks, We don't believe you've come this far to only come this far. Your answer, your healing, your recovery may be just around the corner or maybe in our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. Stay in the battle. God bless. God bless.